leading a startup team, whether you're delivering a sugar rush, stocking coffee, or getting a regular delivery of snacks, Office Depot has solutions that fit every startup culture, from getting those first business cards and stationery to ordering fleece pullovers with your new logo. To learn how Office Depot and the California Technology Council have partnered to bring you savings on all of these startup essentials and more, go to californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. The promise of Precision Health is to transform a healthcare system that is today based on treating sickness to harnessing a range of technologies to predict and prevent illness. Health 2.0's Technology for Precision Health Summit in San Francisco, October 24th, will explore the state of precision health and what's needed to make it a reality. We spoke to Linda Molnar, chair of the summit, about precision health, what gaps in the healthcare continuum need to be addressed to create a healthcare system geared toward prediction and prevention, and how companies will make a business out of this. Linda, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much uh, for having me, and it's a wonderful opportunity. We're going to talk about precision health, how technology is enabling a transformation of healthcare, and the upcoming Technology for Precision Health Conference in San Francisco on October 24th. Well, we've heard a lot about precision medicine in recent years. There's been less discussion about precision health. I'm wondering if you could begin by contrasting those two and, and explain what you mean by precision health. Sure. Um, to me, precision medicine refers to a lot of the ongoing activity in the field where we use genetic and other information from a patient in order to determine the right drug or other treatment for that patient based on that genetic information. And this field has been developing for some time, and what I see it evolving into is another next level of the field, which I'm referring to as precision health. And by precision health, I mean that we are able to eventually predict and prevent disease in a patient, so actually help them avoid disease entirely or at least dramatically improve their outcome. And the reason that it's developed in this way, I think many people uh, initially intended for precision medicine to encompass precision health. However, the technology development was not quite there yet. It's only with recent developments in next-gen sequencing and other technologies where we're really able to get at, on a molecular level, um, what the earliest stages of disease are. We've seen impressive advances in next-generation sequencing. Have we gotten to a tipping point? Is there some price point or other development you think we'll need to see broad clinical adoption? What's that going to take? You know, I think there's simply a lot more involved uh, beyond technology development with obtaining broad clinical adoption. 
you know, this is often the case in many other fields as well, that the technology is often far ahead of the policy and other systemic changes that are needed in our healthcare system in order for broad clinical adoption to occur. You know, so far, we've been focused primarily on the science, and a lot of that focus has been on the science of cancer biology for the development of precision diagnostics and therapeutics. What we really need to change our focus on now is precision delivery. We need to be able to combine all of these disparate types of data now available to clinicians, right? So I, I visualize this as sort of a huge funnel of all this information coming in, all of the omics data, clinical trial data, biosensors, wearables that are now being used in clinical studies, um, the ability to extract relevant information from electronic healthcare records. We need to take all that information that's coming into this funnel and translate those scientific advances into personalized care. Um, the reason that I'm having this conference now in technology for physician health this actually came about from discussion with Matthew Holt, co-chairman of Health 2.0, and I saw a real need in the field to bring all the scientific advances that are occurring in uh, precision medicine, bringing them together with, uh, with what Health 2.0 has really spearheaded, and that is changing the healthcare experience, making it more patient-focused, um, empowering the patient. So all of those digital health technologies are coming together now with the science. That's what we really need to move this forward. The upcoming Technology for Precision Health conference looks at both precision medicine and precision health. On the precision medicine side, as you noted, we've seen a lot of the adoption in the area of oncology. Do you see this broadening? Are there areas of disease where you see clinical adoption either taking hold or, or that you consider particular areas of opportunity? Absolutely. Um, I see a number of areas moving forward that are beginning to emerge where companies are currently established. One area is renal disease. That's uh, a fairly, you know, also a fairly large market relative to oncology. I also see advances in next-gen sequencing of microbiome being applied to intestinal diseases and autoimmune disorders. And finally, um, I'm very happy to see a relatively new focus on women's health emerging. And this focus has been primarily re uh, related to issues of fertility. And I see this coming about due to a new generation of women entrepreneurs who are focused on women's health, often due to their own personal experience. So that's been really nice to see. In fact, I am developing a network of people who are involved in women's health, the science-directed women's health network, to help connect the science that's evolving in women's health with entrepreneurs who want to translate this into care delivery. Are there lessons learned from what we've seen in the oncology space that should inform the approach of diagnostic developers? 
It's an interesting question. We certainly uh, have seen oncology diagnostics go in and out of fashion uh, since the early companies uh, were established in the early 2000s. Primarily, you know, because these companies, these early companies, took a longer time for development and was anticipated, and thus providing a less than appealing return for investors. There were times when diagnostics companies went out of vogue. Currently, I see that changing primarily due to this enormous investment in the space where next-gen sequencing technologies are advancing to an entirely new level of information content. And we've also learned that there's a situation now where it could be broader adoption when we're able to bring in other aspects of patient information alongside the diagnostic information. You actually see the companies much more focused on clinical utility of that genetic information and realizing that it needs to be used alongside all of the other information that's available about the patient. Well, there have been big advances in sequencing technology. M much of the technology that is enabling precision healthcare is technology that was not necessarily developed for that purpose. The ubiquitous technology to track and monitor individuals like smartphones and iPads and smartwatches. What do you see as the critical enabling technologies? I definitely see the smartphone as being critical in enabling precision healthcare simply because it is ubiquitous. The reach that you have with people around the world that have cell phones when they actually have little else in the way of resources is incredibly staggering to think about. So uh, definitely the smartphone is going to have a huge effect in this area. The other technology, a little more recent, that I am really excited about is the development of blockchain technologies for healthcare. Another great example of bringing technology developed for another field into healthcare. And for I people not familiar with blockchain technology, what is that? It's a technology that can help the exchange of private data in a secure fashion. And that's incredibly important because what that can help is the individual, have the individual be able to own and control their own data. So as an example, you know, we already see companies in this space, companies like HealthCoin, where if a patient can own and control their data, they're incentivized go and get data on their health because then they be able, may be able to actually control that data and monetize it for other clinical studies. So to me, this gets in a number of key pieces, you know, the ability to keep the data private and exchange it. But that individual control, I think, is going to be very important for empowering the patient and incentivizing them, which, you know, is a piece that's been missing in in all of this so far. We have the technology. Uh, we need to know how to incentivize. Uh, it's often been said that we're very good at generating data, but actionable information is another issue. As you see this move in healthcare from prediction to prevention, how well do we understand the genetic and other information that can be used to determine a, a patient's risk? As I mentioned a little bit, as I touched upon earlier, uh, this was the issue with a lot of the early diagnostic companies. 
they were focused only on the genetic information. I do see a much bigger focus on clinical utility now, and I also see many other forms of data coming into this pipeline of genetic data that will increase its value. I also see a number of companies that are looking at patients and healthy individuals in a much more holistic way. So uh, Lee Hood's company, Arval, for instance, uh, which is developing clouds of patient data. Um, also, the Human Longevity uh, Incorporated down in San Diego is using this approach, a holistic type of approach. And I think we also see a more recent understanding that we are not necessarily our genetic destiny. There are a few examples of where if you have a specific genetic mutation, you are absolutely going to get that disease. Um, we are seeing that genetics is actually a smaller part, perhaps, than we initially thought, and that environment and other factors also play an enormous role. So we need to consider this big picture. Well, as you look at the gaps in, in getting us to precision health, what don't we understand or what don't we do well that's going to be necessary to, to make that a reality? I think that primarily the use of innovative data sources, such as using uh, natural language processing or extraction of medical information from the unstructured data in electronic healthcare records, will be important. Then we'll also need, alongside that, the integrated predictive analytics that makes sense of all these disparate data forms. And we need to sort of take all that information that's coming into this funnel, and we need to put it into a form that is easily assimilated by both physicians and the patient, you know, further empowering the patient to use their own data. I also see a gap where we're currently developing an ontology for disease. So we're still focused on disease. We're, you know, we're developing an ontology for all the genomic and phenotypic data. What we need to start thinking about is developing an ontology for health. Really need to focus on, on the healthy individuals. And what we need is more leadership in the medical community, honestly, to drive this forward. We have some very Good examples in the field right now. I'm extremely pleased to have Dr. Laura Esserman from UCSF delivering the morning keynote at the Technology for Precision Health Summit. She has been a real leader in the medical community of rethinking patient care. And um, we, need, we need more people like her to step up and do the types of studies or to produce the data that shows that predicting and preventing disease is better for everyone. You say we need to focus more on the healthy individual. Uh, is there an economic case to be made, given the struggle we have with paying for health care these days, but is there an economic case to be made for, for precision health? I think that that case is developing now. I see um, in the companies that have been well-funded in this space recently, they're establishing huge clinical studies that I believe will generate the information that show the value case for precision healthcare. And the other piece, for better or worse, the healthcare system in the U.S. right now has costs which are skyrocketing out of control. 
more and more of those costs are being forced onto the individual. And I think, again, it gets back to people in general behave based on how they're incentivized. So this combination of people being more acutely aware of the cost of their health care, a greater transparency enabled by technologies like blockchain and others, right? So people are going to be people are going to be incentivized to view their health differently, and hopefully, in parallel, you know, these studies will also show that there is strong economic that. I can understand the the elegance of precision medicine, the way to improve the safety and efficacy of treatments. But when it comes to precision healthcare, how much precision do we need? There's a lot of family history can tell us about risk. We know there are serious health consequences associated with obesity, and yet we continue to have an epidemic in this country. How much of a challenge of precision health stands outside of technology and interpretation and instead with our ability to change behavior? You bring up a very good point here. I think a lot of this is going to depend on our ability to change behavior. And, you know, again, I would point to my previous comments that people generally behave based on how they're incentivized. And so that's, that's the piece that we need to figure out. We need to empower the patients. We need to get individuals engaged in their healthcare before they are sick. Um, and this, you know, could also get into a much bigger discussion, you know, which gets into topics such as our food supply um, and the broad availability of medical information and education for society. So we're really moving towards population health type of ideas. As you alluded to, we have a, a healthcare system that, not surprisingly, is designed to treat people who are sick. As entrepreneurs and investors think about the potential to use technology to transform healthcare through precision health, how do you make predicting and preventing disease a business? I would point to the fact that we need to establish the data. It really comes down to data and showing from large clinical studies you know, that prove the value of predicting and preventing disease. That's what investors are going to want to see. Uh, it's certainly not surprising the way our healthcare system evolved. I think it's because we simply didn't have the technologies to predict and prevent disease in the way that they're developing now. We simply didn't have that before. So it evolved in that way where we didn't have a choice. You were waiting until you felt sick and you went to the doctor and found out that you had a terrible disease. Now we can actually see some of these diseases coming due to the advancement of new technology. We can see them coming a far way off and actually you know, be able to change the trajectory of the disease. So I think certainly investors are always going to want to see this data that proves this out. But I also see a number of amazing entrepreneurs out there who have these great technologies and they are going to go and produce this data themselves. So it's, it's certainly a very exciting time. The Technology for Precision Health Conference will be held in San Francisco October 24th. More information can be found on the Health 2.0 website at tph2017.health2con.com. Linda Molnar, Chair of the Technology for Precision Health Summit and 
entrepreneur, scientist, and thought leader. Linda, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send an email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.